Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. This week, we got a lot to talk about this week. We are talking <laughs> horny nuns, Jill sandwiches, a surprising revenge <laughs> movie, something about fucking a car, MB caught up on a damn good show, and a twisty erotic thriller. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot going on in here. <laughs> Before we do get to uh, our, our topics, though, I, I did want to shout out. We got a review after I put out my little call on Twitter asking for reviews. And I, we might get more because sometimes iTunes is finicky about when they show up. But we did get one from I, – I apologize. I'm not sure if your name is Jaime S. or Jamie S. But thank you so much for your review on iTunes yeah. where – they said, out of all the film podcasts, I enjoy this one best. Mary Beth and Terry are fun to listen to. And they say that they find themselves laughing along or yelling out in agreement while listening. Thank so, you so much. They say that listening to us is like listening to friends. <gasps> and that is really sweet. Wow. That is really That's sweet. so sweet. Thank you so much for writing that and saying that. It means a lot. And I'm so glad that you got, you can laugh and yell along with us because we do a lot of both. <laughs> and I'm very we glad sure that you guys can do that. Yay. Yes. Oh, thank you so much for the review. We really yeah, appreciate seriously. it. Because, I mean, we talk about it at the very end of every episode, but like the algorithms, we live a die by the reviews and ratings and people yeah. who subscribe. And that is how we get seen and get more visitors and get more potential for getting bigger guests. Yeah. It's honestly why it's so important to us. Yeah. So we appreciate it. We really do. Leave us more reviews. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, on that note, not really – but <laughs> not at all. There, not even a little bit. There is no good transition there. Horny nuns, Terry. <laughs> tell me more. Horny, horny nuns. nuns. I'm so excited to hear about this movie. <laughs> what I love is that uh, I posted on Twitter that I was going to be watching the, the horny nun, the horny nun movie, 
And everyone who responded came up with a completely different movie that I was watching over the weekend. And it made me realize how many horny nun movies are there? There are a lot of horny nun movies. There really are. A lot of them. But the one that I watched in particular is Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta. Finally, I saw it. Oh my god, tell me everything. I have not seen it yet, and I'm so stoked because... The fucking poster is a nun with her nipple out. I mean, she's going full like Halsey in that poster. But, you know, it's... it's Okay, so I love this movie. I really, really dug this movie. It is about um, a 17th century nun, a real real nun who lived at that time named Benedetta, who um, in the movie is, is suffering from disturbing religious and erotic visions and she kind of starts this relationship with another fellow sister uh, named oh God. I'm gonna really fuck up her name, Bartolomia. Okay, okay. It's a kind of about the rise and fall of Benedetta, uh, as told through the sometimes trashy eye of Paul Verhoeven. Love that man's trashy eye. But what I will say is that this movie is surprisingly restrained for really. A Paul Verhoeven movie? Okay, okay. I, got, I say that, and it's about a woman that fashions a uh, a dildo off of a uh, wooden statue of the Virgin Mary. Hell yeah! Uh, so, I mean, when I say that, I don't mean that this is like some G-rated affair. Oh, it's just definitely like, you know, not, but it's like, Paul Verhoeven did what? Basic, did you do Basic Instinct? So, I mean, he did, oh, he did, uh... L. He did Robocop. He did Total Recall. He did Basic Instinct. He did do Basic Instinct. Okay, I was. He did not. do Basic Instinct. Starship Troopers. He did Starship Troopers. Hollow Man. Showgirls. Yeah. So when I when I say that this is his his least um, provocative movie, it, it's it's still a very provocative movie. Don't get me wrong. And I have a feeling that for people who are religious, that this is probably. A very blasphemous movie. Species I wouldn't be surprised. Spicy. Yeah, but like I don't know. I, I there's definitely something to be said about a, a a lesbian relationship being told by a man. So there is definitely that angle to it that I think absolutely should be interrogated and inspected because again this is a woman whose story has historically been told by men because it was written about by the male dominated church uh this book this is based on the book uh immodest acts the life of a lesbian nun in renaissance italy by judith c brown so it's based on the book by a woman mm-hmm. but it's a screenplay written by a man co-written by Ver- uh, paul verhoven and david burke directed by a man. So there is that aspect to it. I did not personally, I'm not the person to talk to about this. I did not personally find the, the, the movie very male gazy. It definitely doesn't shy away from sex between the two, but it, it, I don't think it's the same kind of lascivious eye that we would typically see in a movie about nuns fucking. Yeah. To be perfectly honest. Yeah. What I really like, what I think is really good about this movie is that there are multiple ways that you could take this movie. You could take it about a woman uh, who's disenfranchised, who finds power, and then, like Icarus, gets burned by it. You could look at it as a queer woman who is creating a safe space for herself in the church, but is ultimately crushed by the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. The idea of intelligence comes up an awful lot Mm. where she is told she is too smart. And when the priests find out that she is having an affair with a woman, they don't believe it because they don't believe that women should would be attracted to each other. 
Like Ooh. the idea of homosexuality to them was men fucking men and not women fucking women. <laughs> and so the whole idea of this eroticism between the two was not believable. And that is also when I went to go look at the Wikipedia page, that was also something that was brought up where they were speechless and like surprised that this was possible. Like they didn't believe it. So <laughs> that was actually a very valid point in the movie that is based on, on <laughs> a, oh, a, a apparently recorded fact. Wanting to touch another woman sexually? No. All right. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, <laughs> so there's, there's a lot going on in this. It's a long movie. It's two hours and 11 minutes long. Damn. And it reminded me a lot of the devils or devils, devils, the devils, the devils. Ugh. Yeah. It reminded I me a lot of that. I had a feeling it would have that vibe. Like, I mean, sexy nuns. Not as wild. Yeah. Not as wild as that movie. Well. But it reminded me a lot of, of, of that. If okay. I'm, if I'm being perfectly okay. honest. And I think they would make kind of an intriguing double feature, very long double feature, cool. but an intriguing double feature. So I really dug it. I think it's um, it it should be out playing right now. I can't. I don't know if it's just playing in theaters when this episode is live, or it's also on VOD. But it should be hitting VOD soon as well. And I really liked it. Hell yeah! I'm so stoked to see it. Show me the horny nuns. <laughs> So what is this about a surprising revenge movie? I saw Pig. Okay. I saw Pig. I want to watch it. Is it good? I absolutely fucking loved it. So I wrote a tweet thread about this, about this movie, because... So Pig is Nicolas Cage, one of Nicolas Cage's latest movies. He has like 6,000 movies coming out at any given moment. But this is one of his latest movies. And... I think one of everyone says this, but one of his best late later career performances. He's not being the outlandish Nicolas Cage we've come to know him as. Right. It's much more understated and much more powerful. So he is uh, Nicolas Cage plays Robin, who is a um, a chef who has gone to live in the wilderness and um, the Oregon wilderness uh, after being a chef and he's been gone for 15 years and he has a pig who is his truffle pig and they go looking for truffles and they sell truffles mm-hmm. to a restaurant a restaurant guy who's played by named Amir played by Alex Wolf and he lives oh, a yeah. very like basic like middle of nowhere existence and i didn't watch any any trailers or anything for this so i didn't realize it takes place in the contemporary day i don't know what i thought but it takes place contemporary like now and it's about not so the pig and so the pig gets stolen because there's a huge truffle industry in the area and the pig is stolen so they can you know use the pig to get the truffles and make the money and not have to go through him and pay him and it's all about him going back into a life that he left in Portland, Oregon, and looking for his pig, but also confronting his past. And he was like a really well-known chef, and he had this huge reputation, and he disappeared off the face of the earth. And he's you now he's back, and it's like him kind of reckoning with his past. But what I love about this movie is how much about the love of food it is. So... For those mm. of you, I don't. I've mentioned this probably like a million times, but um, both of my parents are chefs. My mom and my stepdad are chefs, and they've. I, I grew up with them as chefs. Like I grew up with my mom working in restaurants, with working in hotels. I grew up hanging out in kitchens and like getting to hang out with the dishwashers and stuff. So like food and like restaurant environments, kitchens, everything is like kind of in my blood. 
And I love when movies are about chefs because I'm always curious, like, how they kind of decide to portray the reality of being a chef. Like, how do they get it right? And there's a lot of movies that are about, like, the kind of, like, crazy, 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 crazy life of being a chef. And it's all about, like, being wasted all the time and, like, cooking a lot of really good food. And, like, there's truth to that. But this movie has some of the best portrayals of just the love of food and, like, Mm. the act of making food is such a a piece of like a piece of tenderness and like revenge here isn't violent but it actually is found through love and care in a really interesting way and i just kind of loved how they look at the restaurant industry how it's evolved how people kind of give up what they love to be in like the critic's eye and also the gentrification sort of of portland and Mm. It's just a really beautiful movie. Like, I did not expect it to get to me as much as it did, but, like, I couldn't – I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. It's incredible. Did you cry? I did cry. I've heard it's emotional. I did cry. Yeah. I've heard it's emotional. I it really want to see it. I, it's on Hulu. So it's streaming on Hulu, everybody. Oh, is it? Okay. It's, um, it's easy to watch. So you can, you know, act if you want to watch it, it's, you know, right? It's, if you have a Hulu subscription, it's there. Nicolas Cage is incredible. Again, this is not the Nicolas Cage we know. Or we've used to we're used to seeing. He's very quiet. See, I love hearing that because I mean, every time someone is like, "Oh gosh, it's Nicolas Cage. He's gonna go crazy," and I'm just like, "Does he have to though?" Hundred percent of the time, and he doesn't here. It's beautiful and it's beautiful. I think it glad. really shows that like Nicolas Cage, as much of a joke as he can be sometimes, as people laugh, like he is a really talented performer. And I think this movie will kind of is like has helped kind of reorient people's thinking about him a little bit like obviously he's had a lot of really good horror perf- like genre performances the past couple of mm-hmm. years but they've been so gonzo and like out there mm. and this one is just and this isn't necessarily a horror movie but it's like a revenge-ish movie and i don't know it's just it's an incredibly beautifully made and performed film about a side of the restaurant industry that isn't really talked about. And there's a scene where he cooks a dinner that like gave me full body goosebumps. And I want to cry thinking about it because it just reminds me of like cooking with my parents and like the beauty of someone passing on their knowledge to you in such a caring way to make something to eat. Like, and I I love feeding people. I'm getting emotional. What the fuck? Um, I know. I love feeding people. Like my mom has instilled this love of cooking for people. And this movie captured why I love cooking for people. Like that energy and that emotional kind of like feeling. It's just, it's, I've never seen it captured like that before. And like, it just really hit me of like this very specific emotional connection I have with culinary work. World. like it really got it so i liked it a lot i'm gonna have to watch it that's then that's completely different than what i was expecting uh I, I honestly thought i knew i thought a pig got kidnapped and he goes after the people that did it is how i thought the movie I mean, was like, so this is of, like a it, completely it is, but everyone's like it's john wick with a pig it's not even fucking close it's not even See, that's close. what everyone was saying and but like this is a much more beautiful and poignant idea of a it film is. and makes me want to watch it even yeah more. it really is like it's it's like a revenge movie and he is looking for his pig but the pig kind of becomes secondary to everything else like as soon as he comes into portland he kind of like the pig sort of is still the focus but more kind of comes to the front of the story and the pig is really cute her name is brandy (laughs) and i love her but yeah please everybody watch pig it's incredible um, but what are Jill sandwiches? I actually have no fucking idea what this is. So I just <laughs> tell me more about Jill sandwiches. Okay. So back in, I don't know, it was probably 1999. 
I played this game in which you play a character named Jill. And at some point in the game, she gets stuck in a room with the ceiling closing uh, down on her. Okay. And she escapes. Okay. And her friend, Barry, who saves her, says, you were almost a Jill sandwich. And I watched the uh, digital representation or the video representation of this video game this last weekend in which there is a line in the opening of the movie in the diner. And well, kind of in the very like maybe 10, 15 minutes of the movie where a character named Jill steals a sandwich from someone and he's like, you stole a sandwich. He's like, it's a Jill sandwich now. And the line made me laugh in spite of myself. And the movie was Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. How how the fuck was it? Because I'm just all over the place with what people are saying about it. Uh, Okay, so I went to go see this with my roommate Cassie. And she has no expertise with the video games. Okay. And afterwards, she was like... I have so many questions. <laughs> that is exactly what I've heard. That it is incomprehensible if you have not played the video games. If you have not played the video games, I have a feeling that this movie would be, as you said, incomprehensible. Because it wow. smashes the storylines of Resident Evil 1 and Resident Evil 2 together. And oh, I think... Okay. Okay. To the detriment of the movie, to be perfectly honest, because there's a lot of false starts. Because okay. not only are we starting in incorporating the beginning of Resident Evil 2 with like the guy that's in the, the truck and he oh. ends up crashing and causing the fire. So we're having that start of the storyline while also at some point resetting the storyline and sending the other half of the team to the Spencer mansion. Uh, so it like has this weird energy okay. where it's it starts off as being like okay we have your your familiar characters we have chris redfield we have jill valentine we have wesker we have leon kennedy and we have claire leon! <laughs> sorry i was able for when she yells leon the whole time oh all the time leon! yes <laughs> okay. and so it has like it it definitely is is doing the beginnings of both of those. And unfortunately, the parts that I loved about the first game that I thought, ooh, we have Johannes Roberts mm -hmm. directing this, who did 47 Meters Down. Yeah. And 47 Meters Down and Caged. I was like, ooh, are we going to get a, a movie representation of the Great White Shark scene in that video game? No, we don't, because there's not enough time, because it's two video games smashed together into one movie. So, I had a, a lot of fun with it. Okay. Uh, it's definitely lower budget than I was expecting. Oh, like, I don't really? know how much money they spent on it, but it feels very small. The Some of the effects are trashy. Wow. <laughs> uh, and for a movie about a raccoon, raccoon city that gets overwhelmed by zombies, I use overwhelmed very loosely because there's not a whole lot of zombies in it. Oh. I know they filmed a lot of it during, maybe all of it, during COVID. So I feel like maybe there were some limitations. Uh, but I I had fun. I It's definitely more uh, truthful to the video game than Paul W.S. Anderson's movies. Yeah. but I've thought about that, though, but that's okay. <laughs> in some ways, I think his Resident Evil, the first one, had better looking everything in it 
um, than this movie. Ooh. Look, I think there's something to be said about the way Paul W.S. Anderson takes the ethos and vibe of something. <laughs> if you listen to the Event Horizon episode, I'm a fucking Paul W.S. Anderson whore. So this is why I'm saying this, but Paul W.S. Anderson is really good at making the vibe of something and making something like different out of it rather than trying to be totally loyal to a property, which is why I appreciate um, his Resident Evil movies and I, why I think they're fun. And I also appreciate, I haven't seen Welcome to Raccoon City yet, but I know that it, like, it's very much more like the like the actual games. But I think there is something to be said about not always having to be loyal. The end. Yeah. <laughs> You'll hear us talk about Paul W.S. Anderson next, <laughs> spoiler alert, next oh, week. Oh, Jesus fucking but, uh... Christ, I'm so sorry. I just, like, have no concept <laughs> of what day, year, where I am. You already listened to it, guys! Duh! It's going to become... <laughs> All right. Just a little tease. A little tease for the spicy episode to come. <laughs> Not very spicy, Christ. but a little spicy. <laughs> Doing great. But yeah, so it was fun. I had a good time. Good. I don't think it's a very good movie, but I had okay. fun. Okay. Well, you know what? As long as you had fun. I just wish they had re- just done the first movie. Yeah, the choice like to the mash those game. two together is very strange to me. Like, there's a lot that happens in both of those. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. anyway. There's enough content for a full movie. Yeah. Yeah. But. It's just the things that I missed, like the Great White Shark, or like Mr. X, or like, you know, all <gasps> these like iconic X. these iconic moments from the video game that they don't get to because they don't have time, or probably the budget. Mr. But, X would have been, but like, that's not even a big budget. Well, I, I, it's more time, but like, that, he would have been an incredible, damn, that fucking, when you have to run away from him, mm-hmm. flashbacks to Resident Evil 2. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but let's talk about car fucking. I watched Titan, 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 whatever. Um, Literally nothing that I read about this movie could have prepared me for what it was. Nope. Because Julie DeCurno is that fucking bitch. Mm. She said, I'm going to make a serial killer movie, a found family drama, a Cronenberg body horror, and like a touching drama about grief. All in one goddamn movie. How? And about unconditional love. How? How did she do that? And how did she make me be so emotional about it? Like, it's in- incredible. Yeah. Like, like, a discourse on toxic masculinity. Like, there's a trans, like a trans allegory and navigation of mm. gender identity in this movie and about the performative nature yes. of gender and sexuality. It's yes. queer. It's so queer. <sighs> Even without car fucking, like oh, yeah. standing it's, in yeah. for, for something, it's, queer, it's like women. It's queer as fuck. Sex, gender, like stuff going on. It made me cry. It, I, yes, cried I cried. There's a moment. Yeah. There's a couple. There's a scene that made me cry. It's this moment where there's a needle drop for a band I really like called Future Islands, and it's like this dance scene mm, with all mm-hmm. the firefighters. And it's this, like, mm-hmm. long take of them all dancing and then him, like, the captain coming in and, like, letting loose and, like, kind of letting his body move around. And it's just, like, so tender for for what it starts out as to what it mm. is is incredible. It feels like two different movies. I know – I think you talked about this in the podcast already, Terry, so I won't, like, belabor the point. But, like, it is an incredible film. It's so weird. It's so but, like – So weird. It's It's – 
You're like, yeah, she has. She's like, y'all like raw? Hold, yeah, like, <laughs> hold my beer. Hold Let me my show beer. you. Like, hold my fucking beer. But like, so yeah, she has sex with a car in this movie. Like, that's wild. But like, it's so much more than fucking a car. It really it's is. really good. She does get pregnant by the car. It's really good. Which is weird. She certainly does. Um, but yeah, y'all, it's it's very much worth checking out. And the lead actress, she's fucking incredible. Mm. Ugh. And the guy, like both of them, the two of them are just like absolutely incredible. And there's a there's not a ton of dialogue. It's a lot of like silent, like especially on her part, there's a lot of silence, and it's just beautiful to watch. So fucked up. It's fucked up. Like the concept, like on paper, is pretty fucked up. Julia DeCornow, come on our podcast, please. <laughs> I would love to talk about this movie. Come talk to us. And I want to know what movie fucked you up as a kid, because I feel like I that would really reveal a lot of information to me personally about who you are as a director. Absolutely. Come on our show. Okay. Let's also talk about this damn good show that you got caught up on. Yes. I will quickly talk about this because I know that you talked about this, but I've caught up on Yellow Jackets. Hell and yeah. fucking Yellow Jackets. One, okay, everyone, of course, the opening sequence now is like found footage VHS format. And I was like, everybody knows what Mary Beth likes. It's messy women being messy. And then they put that fucking like opening sequence, like credit sequence. And I was like, damn, they just know all like how to scratch all my itches with this fucking show. You know, it's it's funny that 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 found footage uh, intro because I've been watching the screeners and it wasn't until the fourth episode of screeners that that credit sequence was oh, in the screeners. Yeah. So I didn't the third, didn't the know third, that that was there. It didn't call, it wasn't start till this most recent episode. Oh, it okay. wasn't in the first two episodes it wasn't just the most recent one okay the one thing i don't like about the show is the fact that i can't binge watch all of it and get all of the answers right (laughs) away because i'm so invested now and i'm assuming you are too like so fucking invested in like what the fuck is going on because the mystery like when they're like we talked about this but like it's it's both in the past when they get into this plane crash and are surviving in the wilderness for 19 months and then now when they're adults and trying to like navigate life as traumatized adults mm. and there's some weird shit going on and i'm just like so stoked to see where it goes because it's just incredible and it just like is like women directed written produced it's just like ugh, it's just it's it's fucking soundtrack incredible. of my high school existence, right. by the way. It's so much nineties, so much nineties rock, so good, so many great nineties needle drops. Yeah, I'm writing about it with Joe Lipset, and uh, so I'm even though I'm a little bit ahead, I've watched the first four episodes. I really want to binge the entire show, but I can't because I'm writing about are there? it. Do you know? There's gonna be ten. Oh, ten. I'm glad, but Jesus Christ, every week. This is like, this is binging has ruined this for me. Like, I just want uh-huh. to know everything. But this show, I mean, like, this show has me hooked. Like, I mean, I, so mm-hmm. we decided, I said, Mom, like on Thanksgiving, we got home from dinner. I'm like, Mom, Yellow Jackets is supposed to be good. She's like, oh, I started watching that. Do you want to watch the first two episodes? And like, we were drinking full from turkey. And like, me, Steve, my mom, and stepdad yeah. just watched Yellow Jackets. And everyone loved it. And I was like... If you can get that group of people with, like, very different interests mm. to, like, a show, like, and it just does the mystery so well. Oh, my God. It's fucking incredible. I pay for Showtime now. It's giving now. me Lost vibes. Yeah. I pay for Showtime yeah. now. 
That's awesome. Because I want to watch this fucking show <laughs> so badly. It's so fucking good, it's just though, man. So good. Christina Ricci as M- Misty mm. is the okay. Christina mm-hmm. Ricci's character Misty, both in the present and the past, is fucking wild. Like she's a sociopath. sociopath. I'm fairly convinced. And like both of the actors that portray her are incredibly pitch perfect. Oh. Like young Misty, psychotic. Oh. And I love her. Love her. So. Love her. So, yes, I just wanted to let you know oh. that I am now caught up on Yellow Jackets and I'm fully obsessed so with it. And it's so good. It's the best. I knew you would be. Yeah, I knew it's I would like, be too. And I'm just so fucking mad that I have to wait every week. Like, damn it, we're back to this. <laughs> watching things every goddamn week. I mean, this is the kind of the show to watch that, though, because yeah. like – you start to think about it and try to like figure out and if there's water cooler moments in it. So it like, it definitely gives you something to chat about during the week. Whereas like when you binge something, it kind of, you watch the whole thing and it's like, everyone's at different parts of, of the, you know, of watching it. And whereas like here, it's like, no, you got an episode, people are going to watch it because they don't want to miss out. And then there's that kind of conversation about it for the week. And I think that's, I don't know. Just I miss that. Many, like really, like it's such. It's just so fucking cool to see these messy female characters on screen. Mm-hmm. Like it's all about like being a woman who's a little messy and like a little bit unlikable, but still like fucking rad. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's my favorite stuff. And like, these are women that aren't just like, oh, she's a bitch, but like they are so complex. And it's just, like, mm-hmm. so incredibly well done. And I love how they play with, like, oh, are they cannibals? And, like, I love that, like, because everyone ta- would talk about that in the situation. And it's just cool how they play with, like, these kind of television tropes, but also, like, the survival horror tropes. And just, oh, it's fucking great. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, it is. So I'm excited for more episodes. Episode four is really good. That's all. I've, that's all I've seen because I'm still writing about it for right now. So Shana needs to dump her goddamn husband. That's all I'll say. There's no. Just... <laughs> anyway, give it Adam. Climb him like a tree. Adam's Cl- hot. Climb him like a tree. Although I think there's probably more to him than oh, what hundred? But... I trust no. Also, that show, I trust fucking nobody. I'm like all of you. <laughs> all of you are in on some kind of goddamn conspiracy, and there are at least six conspiracies going on at any given moment. I'm going to talk to you about things when I'm recording. I have so many questions. Um, But so I'll I'll stop going on about Yellow Jackets to talk about our twisty erotic thriller of this week. Twisty, problematic, fucking beautifully shot. Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill. I think from a technicality standpoint, it is a perfect movie. It is perfectly filmed. It is perfectly paced. How? It is perfectly surprising. But like, I... Just watching this movie, like, the craft of filmmaking, like, the craft on display in this movie is absolutely ridiculous. Like, every shot is so perfectly planned. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like watching a piece of art. And we'll talk about the subject matter and, like, kind of the weirdness there. But, like, like, should I say from a technical standpoint, the way this film is shot is perfect. Like, I've heard this about this movie, but watching it, I was like, I is this real? Am I watching this for real? Like there's a scene in a museum that's literally her. Oh my God. She's just walking around a museum looking for somebody, but it is like so tense and just like scary and the heightened emotion. And flirtatious. Yes, and like sexy. I don't know. It's just. All without a single word being None. said. Just her, the clacking of her heels. 
on the on like the hardwood floor of the muse of this contemporary art museum. It's and the way it's filmed has this like almost like paranoid like kind of like twisting around corners. You don't know what to expect. It definitely gives that sort of like I I don't even know what to call it. Just it it it's just it's surprising how much a simple scene of two people moving through a museum and missing each other can be this like erotic but like intense but like is someone gonna die here or someone gonna fuck here like just that sort of tension between those two is he the killer is he just a lover like what's going on it's it's fucking wild and that's like in the first like 20 minutes of this movie earlier than which i will say right now if you have not seen this movie just pause our recording and go watch it because like this movie you said it's it's very masterful and i felt like i was in the hands of the of brian de palma and he was leading me from scene to scene and i was just eating was everything just like, up and i was surprised take, take my hand child and you're like yes father please I will give show me more you cinema things. give me more cinema <laughs> give me cinema father yes so if you haven't if you haven't watched this movie do yourself a favor, realize that there's going to be some problematic aspects with trans identity in this, but go watch this movie because um, right now we're going to kind of spoil a little bit about it. I was really surprised and I realized after watching this that this is sort of his take on Psycho, but I was really surprised in the very beginning how we have this woman who we've been following for the entire first act of the movie who is then fucking murdered and the way that it is is filmed is so perfect because she leaves the lover that she had been coquettishly following in in the uh, the museum she leaves him we get some ideas that you know oh he had a venereal disease oh my gosh did she get it like there's some like that kind of stuff she leaves she gets in the in the in the elevator then she realizes she forgot something so then she's going back her up the elevator ring. her goddamn wedding ring yeah her wedding ring <laughs> and i was like oh god she's going to get up there and he's going to be dead. That was in my mind. She's going to, cause it, the way it was building with tension, I was like, that, that man is going to be dead. And she is going to be like, Oh God, I'm now in the middle of this, this game. No, she gets fucking killed. Yep. There's a, there's Surprise a the fuck out tall of me. woman with a blonde wig. That's immediately waiting for her when she comes up the elevator and it's just like, gotcha. And she's got like a straight razor. And she's like, fuck you. But like on top of this surprised me. There's a, yeah, there's like a little there's a little kid in the elevator when she's going down that's just staring at her. And like could total mm-hmm. red herring, but like a weird tension like like this kid fucking knows something. What the fuck is going on? Like it's so weird. Like to the point where the mom says, Hey, stop staring at that person. It's not polite. Like, it's to not stare. polite to stare. And then it's like it's incredible. Like how he takes these mundane things of like walking through a, a museum. Like, forgetting something and having to go back up in the elevator. Like, how he really gets into the mindset of his character and portrays it with camera work. Incredible. Like, absolutely incredible. Like, how he builds that tension. And and the surprising aspect where it's just all of a sudden, like, she gets up to the seventh floor again and it's like, gotcha! Oh, It's a psycho moment. It is the psycho moment. Also love the way he shot. So Nancy Allen is uh, an escort who sees our character like dying body in the elevator and she's reaching out to grab her hand and it's like mm. the killer is up against Oof. the like the control panel with, and like putting the razor down and there's like this cutting between hands and hands and razor and hands and razor and like and eyes and, eyes and, and oh my god and it's just it's beautiful it's yeah 
and intense. And intense. You're like, is someone's getting finger getting cut off? Like, what is happening here? Like, you never really know what's about to happen. You're like, at this point, there's like six different options for how this could go, and I'm not really sure which one it's going to be. And I love that because it's like you see these movies, and you're like, okay, I know what's going to happen. But here, it's like, even though it follows a kind of giallo-y erotic thriller elements, mm-hmm. it still is just like. Mm. And I and I just love that just like that we're done following her story and we're now following the uh, Liz Liz's story, um, and she gets involved with the woman's son and they start to like plot things out to like try to find out who it is. But it's like following her now and her journey. And I just I love the way the story just sort of like branches off from that opening that opening moment while still kind of making that character's uh, death become very important to the story. It's not yeah. just like a stepping stone. It's very important to the story, but now we're following someone else. And I just, it's just masterful. It's, it's like he, like, like you said, he's just leading me along from scene to scene and I'm just eating it up to the point that I didn't even realize who the killer was until like yep. seconds before it was revealed. Yep. Exactly. You're like, my word. I kept thinking, why does he keep looking at himself in the mirror? And then it was like, all of a sudden, Michael Kai. Oh, <laughs> Michael Kai. Okay. <laughs> Real quick, though, I will say I love how this movie, like, you know, the woman killed at the beginning isn't, she's a, she's a victim in that sense, but isn't at the same time. Like, we see her life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of horror mm-hmm. movies, people die and you don't know anything about them. But here, like, you just get to, you, you know, like, the inner workings of her mind. and We know her fears, her desires. Yeah. We know she's like, not getting at home. Exactly. And so, like, she becomes more, like you said, more than just, like, a stepping stone or, like, a victim to move the story forward. But, like, a person. And you kind of mourn her because, like, oh, my God. Like, mm-hmm. we knew how unhappy she was. With her new husband, we knew, like, her relationship with her kid and, like, her mom. I and mean, it's just, like, fascinating, that kind of relationship you build with this character who who dies, like, in the first third of the movie. And you're like, oh, well, now I'm sad that she's gone. Yeah. But also, like the movie that this is a definitely influenced by, there is some problematic aspects of gender and sexuality in this film yes because the killer is a trans woman a trans yeah and it's introduced so she's first introduced as bobby a patient of dr elliot played by michael kane who is calling um her doctor to get him to sign off on her ability to receive um gender reaffirming surgeries because she is like, I am a woman in a man's body. You need to help me, like, realize that that reality. And, but the message she leaves sounds, like, very threatening and, like, kind of psychotic. Like, I, you know, like, very threatening. And then you see a woman... It's kind of like you connect the dots, like, oh, there's a woman killing other women. Oh, it must be Bobby. But then you don't fucking find out who Bobby is. And then you realize. Mm-hmm. But there's obviously these issues here of, like, one of, like, a tr- of being trans and, like, mental illness. And, like, if you want, if you are not, like, if you are a different gender than the one that you were assigned at birth and, like, there's something wrong with you is, like, kind of the vibe. And, but... One interesting thing about this movie that stuck out to me versus movies like Psycho and Silence of the Lambs, where they're just like, oh, he's he's he is crazy that he wants to dress up like a woman. He's not trans. Like, he's just a psycho, a serial killer, 
a bad person. And like, that's incredibly harmful to people who are trans who are not like that at all. In fact, most trans people are not like that. Um, here they have, they show Dr. Elliot watching like a talk show. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's Donahue. Yeah. And it's a real, it's a real thing. It's Nancy Hunt, um, on Donahue mm. talking about trans issues. Yeah. So she's talking about like how, like her life before she trans, like but her life when she was presenting as male and when she was married and had kids and kind of like. Donahue is trying to be respectful because like there are moments where he's like I don't want to say weird or abnormal because like Mm -hmm. he is trying to be respectful of that and there is like this is the it's 1980 so like there is some sensationalism happening here like obviously people are like a trans person but the thing I did appreciate about having that clip is that there seems to be an attempt at understanding a little bit maybe if that makes sense like there seems to be a little bit more kind of looking into the complexities as much as you can in 1980 into trans identity rather than purely sensationalizing it. Yeah. And like, it is very much sensationalized in this movie, but there is a twinge of like sympathetic trying to be nuanced without knowing how to be nuanced, if that makes sense. It does. And I think about the scene um, towards the end where they're kind of laying out, of course, because this is that time period they call transsexuals because that is what, that was the terms being utilized at that time. Mm-hmm. But there's that kind of conversation about what goes into it. And it, it's a very humanizing, like we're sitting down and we're talking to the audience about these, the people that are, that are going through this, that, that have that kind of idea of that. Maybe they are not the gender that they were assigned at birth. And so there's that kind of aspect of it that the film sort of tries to talk about. And it, it's a little problematic as well, because you have the table of, of old women behind us that are like, one of them is like, whew, just like appalled at the conversation happening. Yeah. But it also feels very empathetic in that regard to the character. Uh, and, you know, I was, I, you know, we're both cisgender people. And so I always try to like go out there and find what people are writing about. And I did find, and I want to include this, I'll include this, this link in our show notes. It's on the crooked marquee and it's Jessica Kretz, who is a trans woman and a fan of De Palma. And they said that they're always struggled with this film that, uh, when they were doing some research on it, there was like a, a piece on the Criterion release from the Daily Beast from writer Keith Phillip, Phillips Phipps, I'm sorry, who quotes a trans woman critic named Alice Stewart, mm-hmm. uh, note talking about how Elliot's pathology of opposite sexes inhabiting the same body bears minimal resemblance to the experiences of actual trans women. Instead, it reads as a conflation of trans identity with a disassociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying they were saying at its most hostile, dressed to kill suggests that trans women are dangerous, unstable, and confused. Whereas this writer writing it, uh, Jessica Kretz writing it, Crooked Marquis, talks about the sort of empathy that that they see in De Palma talking about this and that how De Palma is an empathetic filmmaker and that he does his research. And so there's like, and I'll link to the story because I I definitely am just, there's too much to talk about in the the little amount of time that we have to do it. So I just would rather point to people who are writing about it. No, for sure. Cause especially like trans women, like would love, you know, their voices about this movie are, crucial because this is a movie about trans women like in trans identity and like what you know like we can say all we can about from a cis perspective but like we aren't you know we don't have that same perspective and that kind of like way of 
absorbing the movie and like the harmful harmful or and I've heard both things from from trans mm-hmm. from trans women about loving it or thinking it's really harmful and you know I think it's just a matter of taste and not taste because that's not the right word but like preference and like what you think like what makes sense to you it, it's an inherently uncomfortable movie because of that and mm-hmm. like in this context but I also think it's a movie that is important to have a dialogue around, even more so than Silence of the Lambs. Because I think this movie is trying to be, I mean, it came, obviously came before Silence of the Lambs, but, like, is trying to have a a conversation rather than, like, a pointing of the finger, like I see in Silence of the Lambs. I don't, I don't ever get that this is, like, played as, as shock value the way that Buffalo Bill dancing around with his penis tucked between his legs is. Like... Like, you know, that that's what that, that movie was aiming for. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think that that's the same vibe that I personally get from this. But again, I'm cisgendered. My opinion on this, on this, on that particular aspect of it doesn't amount to much. But yeah. I was thinking about this in particular, how like there's no wrong way to um, relate to a movie in particular, if it, it's about something that you've either gone through or that, uh, you know, that. It talks to your identity because it's the same way that like a lot of people react differently to rape revenge movies where some people that have gone through a sexual assault or a rape has have completely different reactions to those types of movies. And there's no wrong way to, to react to that. Yeah, exactly. And like, I get that a lot because I'm a sexual assault survivor and I, and as a lot of you know, I fucking love rape revenge movies and I find a lot of catharsis right. in them. And I also know there are survivors who don't and that's totally fucking mm-hmm. fine. Like, yeah. We all find catharsis and kind of like validation and represent like feelings of representation in different ways. And I, I, there's no one should be told that how they kind of find release from a film, like they shouldn't be told that that's right or wrong, especially if it's like from like a mental health perspective. Like, right. And just for the record, I'm not conflating the two. I'm just, I'm just saying that there's like different ways of that people are going to react differently to movies about things that they've either gone through or are dealing with. So, uh, I mean, I will definitely be including this link in the show notes. I would definitely recommend going to, to read it and read more about it because I think it's an important movie to talk about. And it's also unfortunately very problematic. It's, it's a weird movie. It's uncomfortable, but it's really beautifully done. So, uh, you know, I just, I, I've, I I think I recommend it. I recommend this movie for sure. It's it's a beautifully made film. It's just, beautifully made. I, you just got to go in with the understanding that it might not be for you, and it could be triggering in terms mm-hmm. of that stuff. So you know, just keep that in mind. And yeah, it's it's streaming on HBO Max. If that's a platform that you have. Um, access to so i again highly recommend checking that one out absolutely yep okay so what are we talking about on next little cuts mary beth Ooh, we're getting gay a little gay we're talking about hmm. stranger by the lake um which is the more uh, I'm really recent excited. one is that on shutter still so it's available to rent at least on amazon prime um it is also streaming through strand releasing trial on on prime video channels okay uh so yeah but then who is our guest on monday Ooh. so on monday we are chatting with bloody disgusting's head critic and co-host of the bloody disgusting podcast megan navarro 
And I, we kind of teased a little bit earlier, but <gasps> we are talking about Event Horizon, and it might be just tad spicy. Maybe not as spicy as, like, say, the Shining episode with Greg Mucci, but... Definitely not as spicy. It's a little but spicy. It's a little spicy. So, yeah. A little spice. A little, a little kick. A little, add a little spice, as they say on TikTok. Listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Did you watch a film that we watched this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for what we should be covering? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And again, thank you for that review. And please, if you are listening to us on iTunes, make sure that you're subscribed. Give us a little rating. Give us a little review. Please, it really helps. Please, thank you. Thank you to Eric Power for artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. Most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. <laughs> ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.